Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 132, Contagion. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we delve deep into an episode of Star Trek, examining what's before us, hearkening back to episodes from long, long ago, and working out what the whole thing's about. And this week, if you're not feeling well, it's contagion. (laughs) So tight. Sorry about that. it's, It's a thing. I hope it's not catching. Yeah, I don't want any of that. No, but no, uh, no, you are no. better this week, though. Oh yeah, so so, okay. so am I, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What? No, last week it's weird because last week you sounded like you were sick and you swore to me up and down that you weren't. Week before uh, last, I was sick and I yeah. sounded sick. So yeah, things things seem to be better. I, I will go on the record here to say I was not sick at all. I had merely lost my voice on roller coasters. Well, there <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Luckily though, he called Lost and Found and and there they. It. Yeah, so yeah. it's a good thing. Uh, tell you what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the whole thing where I tell people how to get in touch with us, and then I'm going to yield to you for the whole trivia thing. Beautiful. All right. So here's how you get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod. That's it. Go outside. Open the window. Just start yelling. I'm mad as hell. <laughs> and Mission Log Pod. Now, it yeah. might actually be easier if you use Mission Log Pod on Facebook, Skype, or Twitter, because that is our handle in all those places. If you want to go the old-fashioned route, you can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. We even take comments there now. And remember, wherever you leave them, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, by the way, we've made all of that free uh, now. Yeah, no, no longer a charge to uh, to go to Facebook or Twitter or to our website. Uh, so please join us there. Yeah, no longer a charge. Yeah, no longer. Yeah, we, we decided to uh, to cancel all fees for uh, for going to Facebook or Twitter and interacting wow. with us. That, that's really nice of us. Although I wish somebody had told me because I'm still charging people. But ah, uh, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. All yeah. right. So you got a trivia thing, right? Yeah, actually, I got a trivia you, thing. You probably got more than one trivia thing, but. All-encompassing, you've got the trivia thing. Okay. So today's episode, Contagion, was directed by Joseph L. Scanlon. He also directed The Big Goodbye, so we have seen his work before. It was written by Steve Gerber and Beth Woods. Now, uh, backstory on these two. Beth Woods, uh, this is, she only has one other produced writing credit. And uh, this story, I know it's kind of hard to believe, this story, oddly enough, came from her experiences working on computers as a tech in the production office. So that was the inspiration here. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, the, the legend has it, she had to explain to Gene Roddenberry what computer viruses, viri, are. So um, that, that helped to sell the idea of the story. Now, Steve Gerber, and by the way, she came up with the story, the, uh, the script, uh, primarily Steve Gerber. Steve Gerber is mostly known as a comic book writer. And yes, he is the man who created Howard the Duck, along with artist Val Merrick. Now, Gerber wrote 27 full issues. There, there were others he did, like spinoffs and comic strips, uh, but 27 full issues of Howard the Duck. And... Um, 
was a big, big legal suit with Marvel that uh, eventually settled out of court that kind of paved the way for artist rights uh, when they had sort of just assumed everything of Howard the Duck and started making uh, stuff without him. Um, he died entirely too young of uh, pulmonary fibrosis. So, Mr. Gerber, it's no longer with us. Let me ask you a question. Did you actually yeah. read Howard the Duck? Uh, you know, I didn't read any of Howard the Duck until after I saw the movie, and I thought, uh, how, did how did this, this happen? movie get made? <laughs> surely, surely if the source material were that bad, this movie would have ever gotten made. And then I looked at the source material, and it, it was far more interesting than the movie. Yeah, you see, that's what I hear. I have not read yeah. any Howard the Duck, although I had a friend who swore by it. But people should, I mean, just people should know that it's not just that really awful movie. Right. Yeah, right. It, it's yeah, this yeah. other thing. And actually, and I don't know how I feel about this, Marvel's bringing it back. Yeah, well, I, you know what? I have friends, some of whom are listeners to this show, who will defend to the death Howard Duck. And I believe, actually, I have Howard the Duck on DVD. So uh, maybe <laughs> I'll just pop it in <laughs> well, later today. Do. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. It's a, it's a young Leah Thompson. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that almost makes any movie worth it. That alone, yeah, yeah. They, they almost. That. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in today's episode, we get to say welcome back to the USS Yamato, which we talked about at length in Where Silence Has Lease, except this time it is the real Yamato, not a, an, an avatar of the Yamato. And uh, it is, of course, played by the Enterprise. We're using the model of the Enterprise in place of the Yamato. And I uh, really wish she could have stayed around longer. Hey, now, ho, spoiler. Yeah. What? what? Oh, no, no, what? no. It's just, hey, we wish we got more Yamato maybe next week. Oh, okay. Maybe you so. Know. Yes, we'll have to yeah. find out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> Ken, we noted a very special moment many episodes ago when Riker gave his first uh, chair straddle. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a bit more dignified. We get to introduce Captain Picard ordering tea, Earl Grey, hot yeah. from the replicator. Yeah. And uh, it inspired me because I, I am a tea fan, as I know you are. Um, it inspired me to look up a little more about Earl Grey tea. It is traditionally a black tea flavored with the oil of uh, a bergamot orange, uh, something done since about the 1820s to replicate the rich flavor of more expensive teas. Uh, now, the Earl Grey variety starts showing up in the 1880s and was likely named after the prime minister who served from about 1830 to 1834, he being the second Earl of Grey. Now, are you, um, are you, mm-hmm. uh, are you a Lady Grey uh, drinker? No, no, no. Uh, Lady Grey, you take that recipe and you throw in a little lavender. Is that really it? That is it, yeah. Okay, because I think you cut something else as well, because I can't stand, and I, and I wanted to like Earl Grey so much, because Picard mm-hmm. is my captain, mm-hmm. Next yeah. Gen is my show, and drinking Earl Grey, to me, is like drinking perfume. Really? Yeah. Really? But Lady Grey, it's a little yeah. bit lighter, it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's a little bit less offensive, and somehow well, I like it's a little, it. It's a little, more, uh, a little more floral, because of the lavender. Well, right? I guess that, that could be it. Yeah. See, I, Earl Grey to me is an afternoon tea. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, more of like an English breakfast tea drinker early oh, in the day. It's I, all I about like timing. That. Yeah, yeah, I like it's that It's all about timing. Hey, by yeah. the way, I, I think I figured out what our ninth or tenth podcast is going to be. <laughs> John and Ken, Teas of the World. <laughs> it's tea time. Yeah, or just teasing. I don't know. They're, they're, we'll, oh, we'll, we'll think ooh, of something. Like We've one. got at least 
30 years yeah. to come up with the we title for the team podcast. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, a couple of guest stars to mention here. Carolyn Seymour plays the Romulan commander, Taurus. Uh, she has had a long history of TV credits. And funny enough, last week I mentioned in the recap, Season two of Space 1999. Yeah. Carolyn Seymour appeared in one episode of season two of Space 1999. Um, so if you're that interested, go look that up. It was called The Seance Spectre. That was her episode. Um, she has also done a lot of voice work for Star Wars, that other franchise, uh, for their video games. And uh, she will show up in Star Trek again as different characters. Now, um, Thalmas Rasulala, uh, that is a mouthful. He played Captain Donald Varley. Now, he was born Jack Crowder. He started in TV in the 1950s. And he appeared with a, a lot of interesting credits, many of which have Star Trek crossovers. So just to name a few, uh, Blackula with William Marshall, Roots with LeVar Burton, T.J. Hooker with William Shatner. And uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. There, there's no connection, but he appeared in a 1970s show called Khan at, with the exclamation point in the title. And uh, he, too, passed away too young uh, in 1991 from leukemia. I say tomato. You say tomato. I say yamato. You say yamato. Tomato. Tomato. Yamato. Yamato. Let's go to segment two. The Enterprise is on its way to the neutral zone, answering a distress call from its galaxy-class sister ship, the Yamato. Systems on the Yamato are breaking down. It's hoped that crews on the two ships can figure out what's going wrong and fix it before they're found to be in the neutral zone by the Romulans. Getting a jump on things, the Enterprise is downloading the Yamato logs on the way to meet them. Contact made, Picard is talking to his old friend, Captain Donald Varley. Farley is really frustrated with the state of affairs on the Yamato. He actually thinks Starfleet may have rushed the Galaxy-class ships out into space before they were fully checked out. His frustration is understandable. He lost an engineering team, 18 people, to one of the ship's malfunctions. Picard says they'll hurry and help out, especially since they're in the neutral zone? Oh yeah, about that, says Varley. He came across some research that suddenly had him thinking that the Iconians were less legend than believed and more fact. In fact, he's found the Iconian home planet. Picard says Varley has taken a big risk, coming to the neutral zone to satisfy his curiosity, though Varley says the bigger risk would have been allowing the Romulans to find Iconia. The planet is virtually dead, but there's enough killer tech there to make the Romulans seriously bad news should they get their hands on it. Then, the Yamato explodes. It just explodes. No survivors. No time to mourn, though. Warp says there is now a Romulan vessel in range. And all of that before the opening credits. Act 1. It's unclear whether it was the Romulan vessel that attacked the Yamato, but their weapons are primed and they're not responding to hails. Until they do. Picard goes on the offensive, demanding that the captain of the Romulan ship explain their violation of the neutral zone. She replies, explain yours. Clever. The Romulan says they did not destroy the Amato. Heck, if they were going to do that, they'd have destroyed the Enterprise as well. Speaking of which, get the Enterprise out of the neutral zone. 
Picard says he will once he's figured out what's happened to the Amato. Picard out. The Romulans cloak and... Well, who knows? They're cloaked. An hour later, Picard has senior staff assembled to figure out what happened to the Amato. Chief Engineer Geordi LaForge says what happened was this. The Amato exploded. It had to do with antimatter and containment fields, but the bottom line is this. No weapons were used. Whatever happened to the Amato happened because of the Amato. Now Geordi is wondering about design flaws, same as Varley did. LaForge and his people are trying to track that down. Privately, Counselor Troy asked the captain if they should maybe leave the neutral zone since they know it wasn't the Romulans that destroyed the Amato. But Picard says, look, if this thing's a space-faring death trap held together by string and hope, he'd like to give Geordi a chance to fix it before they move long distances. Off on his own, Picard combs through Captain Varley's personal log. He's really into the Iconian thing, starting with a piece of equipment found on another planet. It helped him find Iconia, thousands and thousands of years later. After playing hide-and-seek with some Romulans, he made it to Iconia, and his ship was probed again thousands and thousands of years after Iconia was actually a thing. The next and final log entry has Varley leaving Iconian orbit because of the Amato's malfunctions. He's hoping Picard can get his ship fixed. If not, he's hoping Picard will continue investigating Iconia. The fate of the Federation may depend on it. Picard heads to the bridge. Uh, once the door to his ready room finally decides to open, uh, that's probably nothing. On the bridge, Picard asks Data about the Iconian probe that Varley talked about in his personal log. Data's got video of it. It may be scanning. It may be transmitting. They can't really say. Geordi says everything is still checking out as good on the Enterprise, so Picard orders the ship to Iconia. Riker says that could risk a war, though Picard says could actually prevent one. Act 2. Wesley would like to talk to the captain about the Iconians. Weren't they just myth? Eh, there was a time where people might have thought so, but no, they were real. Probably conquerors, according to Picard. Stories speak of them as demons of fire and air, able to travel to distant planets without the need of a spaceship. But Picard says maybe they should talk about why Wesley is really there. Wes is freaked out about the Amato explosion. Over a thousand people dead. How is everyone else able to handle it so easily? Picard says it's not easy. They handle it because they're trained to. As Wes will be. He then orders tea, Earl Grey, hot, and the replicator obliges by giving him a potted plant. Now that should not have happened. It's sort of good news, bad news on the Enterprise now. The bad news, systems are malfunctioning randomly. The good news, it's not a design flaw. Geordi thinks the failure on the Amato may have had something to do with the Iconian probe, or vice versa. Well, that explains what happened to the sister ship, but why is the Enterprise starting to fall apart? Geordi says he does not know, nor does he know whether things will get as bad for the Enterprise as they did for the Amato. LaForge says he needs time, though Picard says they may not have a lot of that. Arriving at what is probably Iconia... Boy, has it seen better days. No life forms, and all cities appear to have been destroyed by bombardments from space about 200,000 years ago. But there is one lone power source, and it just fired a probe, similar to the one that scanned the Amato, at the Enterprise. Picard lets Geordi know that he's going to capture it. Geordi realizes what a horrible idea this would be, but system failures make it impossible for him to simply tell the captain... So he takes a death trip and a malfunctioning turbo lift to tell Picard to destroy the probe, which Picard does just in time. Geordi says if it had scanned them, 
they'd have never been able to save the Enterprise. Act 3. Geordi has figured out what happened to the Yamato. The probe was a transmitter. It transmitted a program to the Yamato that tried to rewrite the Yamato's own operating system, which led to the boom. Now it's trying to do the same thing to the Enterprise. Crazy sophisticated. And Geordi has no idea how to stop it. So how did it get on the Enterprise? Yeah, remember in the prologue when the Enterprise was downloading the Yamato log? It had the Iconian program in it. Since it started off very localized, it's taken longer to wreak havoc on the Enterprise, but it's getting there. Dr. Pulaski is dealing with a wicked number of injuries. None of the usual medical tech is working, including the bone-knitting thing they use to mend brakes. So she schools another doctor on splints. Like, seriously, what they are, as well as why and how to use them. She is a seriously good doctor. In Picard's ready room, Riker and the captain are talking over the massive failures. Picard thinks there may be records on Iconia near the launch site of the probe that could help them out. Riker says he'll take an away team, but Picard says this is a job for him. He studied archaeology and the Iconians for years. He's got a much better chance of figuring out what's going on than Riker. Eh, well, he and Data. And Worf will go for security. No sooner is the captain away than the Romulan ship uncloaks in front of the Enterprise. It's arming photon torpedoes. Riker calls for shields, but shields won't respond. And they keep right on not responding as the Romulans arm and fire their photon torpedoes. Which don't fire. It keeps seeming to arm and disarm photon torpedoes, just as the Enterprise keeps arming and disarming phasers and raising and lowering shields. Riker decides, it's time to talk to the Romulans. Subcommander Terrace of the Hakona wants to know why the Enterprise is so much deeper into the neutral zone. Riker wants to know what they're doing there, too. Terrace says they've claimed the planet below for the Romulan Empire. Um, hello, this is the neutral zone? You can't claim anything. Whatever, says Terrace. Leave or I'll kill your away team and destroy your ship. Communications are cut and the Romulan ship cloaks about halfway. Then it doesn't. So the Hakona is having troubles as well. And they're about to get worse. Another probe has left the planet. This one headed for the Romulan ship. Riker tells Terrace to destroy the probe, which she does. Riker figures the Romulans must have tapped into the Yamato log and caught the same computer troubles the Enterprise has. He tells Crusher to stay on red alert and keep shields up. Though if they do that, they won't be able to beam up the away team. Act 4. Picard, Data, and Worf find what appears to be the one intact building on Iconia. Some sort of control center. The language on the control panels looks like a few other languages still in use. Picard thinks their root language might be Iconian. Data goes about reconstructing that root. On the Enterprise, Counselor Troy is twitchy as a cat. She says it's because tension on the ship is so high. The crew needs something to do. Riker says... She should go organize a ship-wide evacuation. No, really, he'll be fine here. You go be twitchy someplace else. On the planet, Data's got the language on the control panels down. Anyway, he thinks he does. Turns out he doesn't. While trying to activate manual override, he activates some sort of portal system instead. This must be the way the Iconians traveled without spaceships. This leads Picard to two conclusions. The Iconians may have escaped rather than be killed, and this was what had Varley freaked out. If the Romulans had this technology, they could take over the galaxy by surprise. 
He and Data also doubt the Conqueror story that grew in the wake of the Iconian's demise or disappearance. Watching the portal, Worf sees what appears to be the bridge of the Enterprise. Gee, I wonder if that'll come in handy. Data also finds the controls for the underground power source. He'll just... Oh! Get zapped by the control panel. Data goes unconscious as we go to break. Act 5. Data's blind now, and his motor skills are shot. The Iconian program is attempting to rewrite his software. Picard has a plan. Worf is to take Data through the portal the next time the Enterprise appears. Also, destroy your tricorder. No one, as in, no one, must ever have access to the technology on this planet. Picard gets Data to talk him through how to blow up the building and everything in it. Worf takes Data through the portal. Back on the Enterprise, in engineering, Data, well, dies. On the planet, Picard sets the room to explode. On the Enterprise, Data reboots. And now Geordi knows what to do. They're going to turn off the Enterprise and turn it back on. Seriously. With the last building on Iconia about to explode, Picard goes through the portal. He ends up, though, not on the Enterprise, but on the Hakona. The Hakona, whose self-destruct cannot be turned off. Malfunctions! Terrace is kind of stoked, though. While she will die, so will Picard. Except Transporter Chief O'Brien gets a lock on Picard and beams him away. So just the Hakona will die. Except Riker tells them how to fix their ship as well. Turn it off and turn it back on. Seriously. The end. Magnificent. I feel like I relived the whole thing. Sorry, was that too long? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying it was magnificent. Oh, well, thank you very much. I yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I was actually worried about this. You know, this is an episode. I'm not saying this is good or bad, right or wrong, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. kept looking at what I could take out. And there were a couple of things I know I could have taken out, but they felt like things that needed to be mentioned. And okay. maybe would have, maybe we would have come back to them later in the discussion, like the stuff about Troy being twitchy and the stuff about uh, uh, Dr. Pulaski. Let's make yeah, sure that we yeah. come back to those because they're important character points, even if they're not important to like like the whole story. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from. I agree with that. And the other thing I will say is this is a jam-packed episode. Just jam-packed. Just jam-packed. But go ahead. There's, I'm sorry. There's stuff. There's a lot of stuff. There, there's, there's a stuff lot like, of stuff in this episode. Um, like the Carpenter-esque 80s music cues that I was entertained by. I think I pointed that out in uh, early season one, but uh, glad to see some of the that style back there. Um, uh, uh, seeing a character stuff, I mean, Worf just ready to fight, just no matter what. He doesn't care if the, uh, the Romulan shot or not. He's just ready <laughs> to fight with them. And um, I, I felt it was a little uncomfortable because Maddox has only been gone a couple of weeks and we're already referencing him, which which could be a good thing. Um, but I thought Jordy, you know, we're assuming maybe that Data can't hear this, but but Jordy needs him. And I just thought, man, that, that's like really too soon. Um, that, that That's like saying um, we really need someone around here who's an efficiency expert. Whatever happened to Remick? Yeah. Like, get that guy, you know, yeah. <laughs> Just, or, or somebody like him, maybe. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I got to go back really quickly, though. In fairness to Worf, mm-hmm. this is the first time we've seen the Romulans since they did their whole we're back thing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. All right yeah. So the last time we saw the Romulans, so it's like 80 years ago, we see the Romulans, and then we have the whole neutral yep. zone treaty or whatever, and they're on their side, and we're on our side, and never the twain shall meet. Right. Until the end of season one of Next Gen, when the twain do meet. Right. And, right. and they're all like, wow, we are so ready to screw you up militarily. Just, you know, we're we're mm-hmm. we're ready to just to just mm-hmm. kill you. And so the first time we see Romulans again, another ship from the Federation or from Starfleet has just exploded. So, I mean, yeah. let's, let's cut Worf a little bit of slack. Although, although, I mean, the last time that we saw the Romulans, yeah. they had no clue what's going on. And this time that we see the Romulans, they have no clue what's going on. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, if the Romulans didn't just act like they were up to something all the time, they would probably get a lot further. Maybe. Because they, they come on screen and like, hmm, we're not going to tell you what we know, but get out. And it's like, well, now, now, now we think you're up to something. You know, so I'll maybe give Worf a little slack for that because they they act like they're guilty even when they're not. Um, All all those captain's logs. I I thought that was kind of interesting that we see, you know, the the list of of the the video files. And then you can just say, show me anything that references these keywords. So, you know, the computer is parsing what's spoken in the videos to play back. Um, I I thought the Enterprise got a lot of that data fast unless he just got the captain's logs. Well, no, they, 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 they downloaded everything from the Amato. They downloaded all the ship's logs. So they did get everything. They they mentioned that they got everything. I think so. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a lot of data. Well, yeah, come on. It's 24th century, dude. Yeah, it's the 24th century still, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's enough data to run a starship. It's it's strange, though, that uh, honestly, it struck me as kind of odd that they were still downloading it when we got there. I would would think that it'd be some sort of cloud computing something or other that you Mm, could just go mm -hmm. ahead and access it without having to download the whole thing. Although, good thing that that is not the case, because if all of the starships were connected to the cloud... No, no good. And then, you know, one of the starships got some sort of deadly computer virus. Well, yeah. Say goodbye yeah. to uh, say goodbye to Starfleet. Hey, but they have a mainframe. Huh? They have a mainframe. Do they? Yeah. Do they talk Ge- about Ge- that? Jordy said something about the mainframe. Oh, well, and good. It's like, wow, there's a, there's a blast from the past. Late 1980s. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned the thing about Pulaski yes. and, and the splint. Yes. And I just thought, somebody fire that guy. <laughs> just, no, just. no, no. Come on. Go back to the big goodbye. When, 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 uh, when Crusher watched that historian dude like practically bleed out. Okay, but Crusher is also the person who on the planet with Picard was like, you see that root? Get, chew on that root, and that will help me. You know, <laughs> I, unless it was just a ploy to give him something to do. Yeah, but we we revealed that Crusher had some medical knowledge other than just um, well open this kit and apply this piece of technology. Okay, we revealed at that time, but in the big goodbye, she didn't. But here's what that's, I'll say: yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the difference between a medical officer and a chief medical officer. Mm. Yeah, the fact that she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, taste that root. Does it taste okay? Well, then go ahead and apply it. <laughs> 
the fact that the fact that Pulaski is like here's the thing I don't understand though. So yeah. and maybe maybe this will happen. I mean a splint, look, I've never used a splint, but I've heard of splints. Mm-hmm. I, I know mm-hmm. what a splint is. It's a yeah. it's a it's a word in English or, or right. a word in basic or whatever they speak in Star Trek at this point, right? right. So right. when she says make a splint, it's not like she just said make a pierogi. <laughs> You know, which is a which is a, which I now know what a pierogi is, but a few years ago I had no idea. That's a that's a, and, that's a foreign word that I learned, Splint. and that would have been totally appropriate for Doctor Pulaski to demand that he make a plate of pierogi. Wow, didn't even think about that. That's an interesting yeah. point. Yeah, well but, chosen. Yeah, so she yeah. says, "Make a splint," and he's like, yeah, "What? I didn't even know." And then he's just like complaining because that's not practicing medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really thought we would talk about this next segment. But honestly, I, I am liking Pulaski more as we go. I did not come in hating her the way a lot of people did. Yeah. But I love the fact that she's like, you know, you know stuff's broken. And she's like, well, oddly enough, you know, the first doctor didn't have a uh, a, a bone <laughs> knitter or whatever. Right. right. First doctor was a barber for crying out loud. So fix yeah. his leg and then you know, give him a trim because, come on, he looks a little unkempt. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, I really liked the uh, the turbo lift scene uh, with Jordy, if only because it was good stunt work. And we finally got a sense of what the turbo lifts can really do. Yeah. Because we, we, we hear about it. We go, oh, yeah, well, they can move up and down and they move laterally and they can do this and that. But, you know, it's really just people get in an elevator and then the door opens and you're somewhere else. But this thing is just going backward and forward. And it, it's just a simple effect, you know, the light on the outside of the, the set going back and forth. But it was cool. And, and seeing him roll around that set was really well done. I it was nice. Now, I am wondering if the advances that we've made from the turbo lift in the original series, the turbo lift in the next generation is actually a good idea. Remember, you used to have to hold the handle in the turbo mm-hmm. lift in the original series to get it to go. Right. I'm right. thinking maybe that was actually a safety feature. Yes. They need to bring that back. Exactly. Yeah. Because the second Jordy let go of that, then the turbo lift would have stopped theoretically, although it was malfunctioning. So who knows for certain? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, maybe a safety or two would, mm-hmm. would not be a bad thing to look into uh, mm-hmm. after this episode. Um, another kind of production thing that I liked was uh, there was some really nice camera work in the conference room when they're having their initial discussion about what happened to the Yamato. The, the kind of moving camera around the chairs as they're discussing is not a technique that we've really seen before, at least not in that set. That was really cool. It stood out to me. So I thought I would share that observation with everyone. Um, we learned that 90% of what happens on the Enterprise is automated. And I thought, man, somewhere Dr. Daystrom is giving the slow clap. You know? <laughs> I'm actually she really, must be I was very actually very proud. surprised to hear that it was only 90%. You thought it was going to be 99 and, and then some. 95, 96. I mean, lights yeah. turn on by themselves, doors open by themselves. The computer is listening to you at all times. Yep, waiting to be, yeah. waiting to jump into action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The replicator mm-hmm. makes the food. I mean, you do yeah. have to say to it, you know, I'd like food. But, yeah. <laughs> but then the replicator is like, oh, 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 got it. OK, you need to do no yeah. more. So really, we're painting this picture that they they are just like lab rats in a maze that they can go get food out of a little chute <laughs> and, and make their way down the corridor as quickly as yeah. possible when somebody tells them how to. Exactly. That's, see? Yeah. Uh, you, you know who's it. really going to survive? It's Worf and yeah. Pulaski. 
Yeah, right. They're the ones that I give the most. Uh, maybe Riker because he can get people to follow him pretty easily. Yeah. You know, with his dragging knuckles and his Cro-Magnon forehead. <laughs> I mean, right. getting people to follow the strong guy. But then again, so can Worf. Except, mm-hmm. of course, he looks like a Klingon as opposed to looking like a human. But So it's yeah. really just the Enterprise computer running the experiment. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. What, yeah. Wow. Man, that just... Put a whole different color on Star Trek for me. Got um, dark, didn't it? Got really it dark. It did. It did. <laughs> um, there was a cool schematic of the Enterprise that we got to see when uh, Jordy is pointing out what happened. Um, so you get a sense of where things are, and you get a sense of how far he had to go from the the deepest depths of the, the lower hull of the Enterprise to get his way up to the bridge. That is a hike. Yeah. You know, yeah, (laughs) a long way. Not to be too much of a stickler, though. Well, and that was the same thing that they had the first time they were going to blow up the Enterprise, too. Right? Mm -hmm. They had the Mm -hmm. uh, they 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 had to set the self destruct in engineering, and then Picard and Riker, I think, had fifteen minutes maybe to get you know to the. But that was without being at a full run, and I want to say that was without the uh, benefit of the transporter as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a little curious though, like. So he's got a communicator on his shirt. Oh, right. But he didn't try to use the communicator on his shirt. He tried to use the communicator on the panel. Yeah. And yeah. then he goes running. I think I would have actually said, can anybody hail the captain? Mm-hmm. Can, can somebody please do something? Yeah. Sure. Or can you tap out a message or something like that? Because, um, yeah. I mean, you're right. It, it was really cool that he got there, and it was a really great stunt sequence. Yeah, uh, it would have been really unfortunate if he'd been like you know cut in half by the trans- by the, by the <laughs> right. turbo lift door and just yeah. like oh well now we're done. Okay, so Picard asked for tea. Yes, and he got a flower pot. Yes, and a few minutes later he gets into a transporter, arguably the most complicated system on the entire ship. Yeah, there is no damn way I would get in a transporter after I asked for tea and got a flower pot. Well, except I, I believe it was Jordy who said, "Look, we you know we die this way or we die that way." I mean, Picard actually O'Brien makes it clear to him. He's like, "Look, transporter may stop like halfway through this," mm-hmm. and Picard's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, we know the risks because I mean, honestly, the other I mean, the risk is go down to the planet and find a way to save the Enterprise or stay here and die." One word, a compound word, shuttlecraft. That's interesting. That's interesting. Actually, I also yeah. found it interesting actually that uh, so so Picard says, "No, no, no, I'm leading the away team." And, yeah. and and Riker says, we've had this discussion a hundred times. And, of course, the discussion <laughs> tends to be it, it's dangerous for the captain to go down to the planet. Mm-hmm. Planet's actually the safest place for the captain to be in this episode, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Oh, no, uh, you stay here, number one. I'm going to go down to the planet. I'll take the risk of not being on the ship that's about to explode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you, you, you raise an interesting uh, point about the about the replicator and, and making a, a pot of plants, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. uh, that uh, and that that's why you wouldn't get on the transporter. Right. The question I have is: Can the replicator actually replicate living things? Because it gave him what appeared to be a potted plant, not a yeah. pot of plants, not a plate of greens, but what appeared to be like, oh, I want to I want to put this on my desk now, and I'll be sure and water it once a week because I want it to grow and flourish and whatever. And looked like what they gave him was like a was actually a a, a thing that would keep going. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's, wow. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. So the replicator and the transporter technology being kind of, you know, only only just barely separated 
mm-hmm. in terms of what they do. Like you, you kind of go back to Moriarty serving up tea and crumpets that the doctor could eat, yes, and 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 would stay with her <laughs> as she walks out of the uh, the holodeck. So yeah, here here we have this replicator that that is creating not only a real thing that can be touched and and felt and has mass and all this stuff, right. but is potentially a living thing. Yes. Yeah. And now that's... now we know where Ian's puppies came from. <gasps> oh. And now we know where Ian's puppies go. <laughs> they, we just, we, we beam you them just back. recycle? We, we <laughs> they... beam them back to the farm that we beam them from. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we beam them back to the country where they will go and play with all the other puppies. And and one day, maybe they'll come back as a plant <laughs> or a crumpet or a cup of tea. Earl Grey. Hot, maybe. <laughs> yes. Though the time it possessed was short, I feel compelled to say, thank you very much, Starship Yamato, for doing the exploding, nobody wants to. For some reason, Ken, Mm -hmm. out of everything that we have done on Mission Logs so far, Mm -hmm. this one episode has me thinking about so many past episodes. And I don't know yet if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because usually I'm a little I'm a little indifferent, say, when I'm watching a movie and I think, wow, this really makes me think of that other movie, Mm -hmm. maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way. But but it's kind of a distraction when you go, oh, man, in, in this other movie, this other thing happened. But I felt like in this, there were just so many touchstones that felt like the original series. Um, we have the ancient and extinct civilization, hundreds of thousands of years old. And, and I thought about Return to Tomorrow and many others. And we have... The idea of these super advanced technologies, which, let's face it, is just so many episodes of the original series. Can I wait? Can I, can I ask you one second? Return yeah, to yeah. Tomorrow or Return of the Archons? Uh, no, Return to Tomorrow is the one with Sargon. Oh, so okay. remember, his planet had been wiped out and they were the last remaining uh, uh, intelligence from right. that planet. All right. Yeah. Now, uh, but uh, Return of the Archons. Well, they're, they're a computer-run society, but with with their own set of problems. Thousands know. of years old, and yeah, thousands of years old. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I, I was confused no, 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 no. too. My bad. No, no problem. Um, and then you had the, this interesting conceit of information, or we could say programming as an accidental weapon. And I thought about the motion picture and I thought even the, the probe slash weapon coming from Iconia even looked like something from V'ger, you know, the, this round mass and that kind of lightning bolts shooting off of it. Um, and we don't really know, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Do we need to destroy it? Do we need to study it? Kind of the same problem that we faced in the motion picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it definitely was not a weapon, it was just something that behaved like a weapon to us because of the way that we interface with it. Um, the idea of escaping to other worlds, of course, and all our yesterdays with uh, Mr. Ataz. I yeah. was say Mr. Ataz. It's funny. Both you and I go Mr. Ataz. Uh, like we miss Marriott Mr. Hartley was in that <laughs> yeah, right. episode. We're both like, oh, yeah. the old man. <laughs> right. The old um, library dude. Oh, yes. Whatever happened to him? 
Yeah. Not yeah. Uh, not whatever happened to Marriott Hartley. Well, I'm still thinking about what happened to Marriott Hartley. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the idea of like the, the gateway, of course, sitting on the edge of forever and all our yesterdays. Um, and then the computer virus or the computer run amok, practical joker. And of course, we had the M5 computer that, you know, I referenced uh, Dr. Daystrom. Mm-hmm. Romulans, of course, we met them in neutral zone. Uh, there was stuff here that reminded me of Forbidden Planet, too. And what I'm trying to say is that. There is all this good stuff, and I was still sitting there watching this episode thinking that it didn't feel necessarily derivative. It was Mm -hmm. just sort of like old home week, and I just sat there thinking, this is cool. It feels like this is stuff that all takes place in the same universe as other Star Trek stories that we've seen. And and it was really nice. It was really nice to just uh, have all these moments and go, wow, it, it feels like Star Trek. Because we've talked about a few episodes now from season one and season two where you said, you know, this one felt like it really gelled, like it really came together, even if it wasn't a great episode. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like the characters were on point. It felt like it took place in this world that Star Trek takes place and and. This one kind of did that for me just because all the all the touchstones were there. So that that's how I'll go into the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they didn't feel derivative to me. They felt mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Honestly, I just got I mean, it felt like a good episode to me, with the mm-hmm. exception of the fact, I mean, and forgive me, I know I was joking about the late 80s, early 90s, you know, catch-all for technology fixes. And and mm-hmm. in fairness, I still have to do it from time to time with the computers and stuff that I have today. Oh, yeah. um, it, 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 it just felt like a good episode, with the exception of the fact that, I mean, that really what saved them was the idiot's retreat, turn it off and turn it back on. If you've ever seen the IT crowd, that's kind of the running gag. Is yeah. it really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That reminds me of a stupid joke, too, about, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Turn it off and turn it back on. But, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel – I mean, what's weird is I can see all the stuff that you're talking about there, but none of it had, like, the, the, the naked now syndrome. Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's what was cool is it didn't feel like somebody had just – you know, they had just watched The Naked Time and were driving to work that day and said, hmm – how can I just totally rewrite that and make it right, <laughs> next right, right. How can I make this it more felt like make it more now? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. This just felt like people who were fans of Star Trek who had kind of absorbed all this stuff over 20 years and then decided to build the story in that universe where that kind of stuff takes place. Yeah. Very different thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Um, there were a couple of character things I liked in this. We talked about Pulaski earlier, but I do want to swing back around to that really quickly. She really sure. is a good doctor. She really is a good doctor. I mean, yeah. consistently, she is a good doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, Bones occasionally would do like the old home remedy kind of thing, but mostly he was good with a hypo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Crusher, we've only had one season with her. I don't know if we'll ever have any more time with Dr. Crusher. But we don't know. In the yeah. one season we had, she was like 50-50. I mean, like when they, it really honestly did bother me that, that she did not, you know, take somebody's coat or take some, uh, take the hem of her dress or something and try to staunch the bleeding from that guy. She really was right. going to stand there and watch him bleed. And that strikes me as a glaring, 
deficiency when you have the chief medical officer of the ship there who's basically just fretting. Now, when you, I mean, there was the whole thing about, you know, the route that you were talking about. And I want to say, didn't she actually walk Picard through making a splint? Mm. There was a problem with her leg as well. There was, there were two problems going on and she actually talked him through two fairly low tech ways of, uh, ways of dealing with the medical problem. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get that from her consistently, and so far we have gotten that kind of thing from uh, from Dr. Pulaski uh, consistently. Uh, the weird thing in this episode to me was how skittish, as far as characters go, how skittish Troy was. And it wasn't just the thing that I joked about where she's like, oh, the crew needs something to do, and, and, and Riker's like, oh, why don't you organize getting everybody off the ship? And, <laughs> and, and side note, by the way, did she then really start going to everybody on the ship going, all right, we're out. Pack your stuff, get ready, go stand near right. the whatever we stand near when we're going to leave the ship on Moss, because we're going to leave the ship on Moss. No, seriously, Riker told me that I should tell you this. And it's like, is, is Riker like sending everybody text messages going, listen, Counselor Troy's going to come by. Just humor. Just talk to her. It's all good. You, no, we're not really going to leave the ship because really there's no way for us to all get off the ship and this is taking far too long and I have to text another thousand people so I got to get off with you now. All right, so that's one thing. But then the other thing was yeah. like the second that she – like the second they realized that it's not the Romulans who destroyed the Amato, then then she's like first thing out of her mouth to the captain is can, can we leave then? Can we leave? Because, you know, it's scary here. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it was mm-hmm. kind of a weird thing. I mean she wasn't useless in the episode. She did say that – you know, whatever was going on with um, Taris, which we didn't know Taris's name at the time, but she did say whatever was going on with her is like, a, is you know, she's she's worried. She's concerned. So, I mean, she was not a completely useless character in this episode, but the choices that they made with her were surprising. Yeah, well, I mean, for her to point out that uh, Taris was concerned, I mean, that, that's kind of like, well, yeah, we're, we're all watching the same yeah. Did video. Did you notice also you she's female? Oh, really? Yeah, right. thank, thank you very right. much. I'm, I'm glad you're here next to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of interesting things with Troy, though, in that episode. Well, first of all, strategically, I think that's actually not a bad idea. If the ship is falling apart around you and you are faced with a Romulan that could destroy you if their systems work or could come back, then... Abandoning ship is not a bad idea. It wasn't her idea, though. It was Riker's idea. And I didn't get the sense. That, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, but what I'm saying is, like, even if it is just like a ploy to get her out of the way for a moment. Right. And say go around it. it, it there is some, some legitimacy to the idea. Oh, yes. You would do that. You know? well, no, there's legitimacy to the idea that it should be done. I didn't get the sense that it was actually happening, though. That's right, the, right, that's right. right. Yeah, because she's like, give everybody something to do. And Riker's like, what do you think about getting off the ship? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, seriously, that's how this decision is made? Yeah. Come Under on. any other circumstance would have been, this is the captain speaking, exactly. everybody prepare to abandon ship. Exactly. Instead of, Troy, this ship has like... 40 decks or something. <laughs> you go to every deck, <laughs> knock on every door. There's only a thousand people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Leaving it to Troy to organize getting everybody off the ship. I got to think that one of the first things you do when you decide to put a thousand people on a ship, mm-hmm. let me put it this way. It's been a few years since the Titanic. 
Yeah. And I right, know it doesn't right. always work out well. There was that there was actually that horrible thing that happened as we record this less than two years ago with that uh, with that uh, cruise ship in Italy. Right. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. It, bad things still happen. But yeah. I, I do find it hard to believe that the first in command or the second in command, first in command. Yeah. Number one. Okay. Yeah, he, he's the commander at that point. He well, that's the true. With the ship at that point. Yeah. I find it hard to believe that he doesn't have some binder he can crack that would say so. You want to abandon ship, right? <laughs> right <laughs> I don't right. think it actually comes down to, well, you're looking for something to do. Why don't you figure out how to get everybody away? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a legitimate strategic thing, but it plays yes. like I really need to give you something to do. Exactly. Because when you are telling me that tensions are high on the ship, tensions are high with you. Exactly. And now I don't know if I can trust what you say. Are you speaking for everyone or are you just speaking for yourself? Which is a strange thing to have happen with Counselor Troy. Yeah. yeah. And there was one other interesting moment when we thought for a moment that the Romulans were about to fire their photon torpedoes at the Enterprise and the Enterprise could not get her shields up. And you you cut back to the reaction on the bridge when the Romulan ship can't fire. Yes. Troy, did, did you notice this? That Troy had her hand on uh, Commander Rikers. No. The, the, like, yeah. It, so there wasn't like a freak out moment. There wasn't like, oh, my God, we're going to die. But when tensions kind of calmed down, she she took her hand back and then uh, she was back on her own. It, it was, okay, it was that, a nice little moment that. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't bother me as much as it bothered me in the one with um, uh, the guy from 2001 in the original series. Fourth episode, oh, oh. I believe, that I can't think of the name of. The, the episode is Where No Man Has Gone Before. Okay, wow. The, the actor is Gary Lockwood. It's not a it's not a common phrase. You can see how I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, yeah. You never hear that again. Yeah. But somebody, somebody <laughs> came up and held his hand, right? When they yeah. were going to the edge of the galaxy, they're about the to yeoman, break through yeah. the edge of the galaxy. Yeah, the yeoman comes up and holds his hand. That's completely out of place. For Riker and, and Troy to have that moment um, mm-hmm. is not... And that's not reprehensible because, of course, of their history and the fact that they were really about to die, not about to go, you know, further than they've ever been before. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I thought it was a nice moment and, yeah. it, and it was very, very subtle. It was and, very subtle uh, because I yeah. watched it however many times I watched it and didn't <laughs> even didn't see notice. it. Yeah. So great. <laughs> right. I'm not, um, I'm not even sure I'm watching Star Trek, dude. Am I watching? OK. I don't know. Do you, yeah. I'll okay. go back. I'll go back and check. OK. Um, we touched on an idea just for a brief moment of history being distorted by those who record it and those who survive. The Iconians may or may not have been warmongers and they may or may not have been conquerors and they may or may not have been responsible for their own demise. They they might still be around in another guise elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um so like all our yesterdays, it, it was interesting to ponder where they went and how they survived when they got there. You know, did they blend in or did they create new civilizations? So that was kind of a cool thing that because this had been 200,000 years right. since they left. I can't remember the names of them, but my assumption actually was that they split off into those three societies that um, Picard and Data identified as the languages on the control panel. Right. They're like, oh, this looks right. like this language, this looks like this language, this looks like this language. Maybe they all, you know, came from this route. And we sort of think at that point, you know, sort of the way that Roman law and Roman, well, Latin, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, sort of disseminated from everyone. We sort of think at that point that, ah, so the Iconians conquered all these people and this is how that happened. But it seems at least as likely, if not more so, that actually when they were being bombarded, they just went through as many of the portals as they could and they ended up forming the three or, well, three or maybe more 
uh, cultures, but the three that they were able to identify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it, clearly that it, it wasn't the point of the episode, but I thought it was a nice little moment yes. you know, that, that we will, I'm sure, touch on in other stories elsewhere. I would imagine so. I like the I like the discussion, um, not the death and dying discussion between Picard and Wesley, but I did like the sufficiently advanced technology um, mm. appearing as magic discussion. Although the line kind of bothered me, where Picard's like, uh, there are stories of them being, you know, demons of fire and air. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> right, and the yeah. part that Wesley repeats is fire and air. Well, yeah, but those are fairly common. Really, you're not going to mention the demon part? <laughs> going to skip that? But I mean, I like the whole, it's it's weird to me that a kid in the 24th century would have to be reminded, I don't know, but maybe he just because he grew up with it. You know, like the kids today. Oh, try telling a kid today that you remember before the internet. I remember the yeah. first time I was on the internet and some kid would say, shut up, you lie. It's like remembering the first time you breathe. <laughs> no, for you, but not for me. So I guess it makes sense maybe that Wesley wouldn't have an idea of the sufficiently advanced technology thing. Except, of course, he has been to planets with technology that is less sophisticated. Uh, like Don't the, like, just like the Edo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he was even uh, showing off the replicator to his girlfriend last week. That's, that's true. You know, and the holodeck. And uh, so he's... He's seen things, and and he should be able to put into context just because of the kind of the the scientific-minded nature of Starfleet. Like, oh, we we see this thing or we hear this story. Let's try to figure out the truth of it instead of just saying, oh, it's demons appearing from the air. (laughs) Then again, I mean, maybe it's – I mean, it was just the icebreaker. I mean, uh, good good on Picard. Picard, who was lousy with kids. Good good on Picard to realize that uh, Wesley actually had something else on his mind. So, I mean, and, and maybe it was the stupidity of what he was saying that made Picard realize, you know, <laughs> Wesley's not dumb. Why, he doesn't really want to talk about this. He doesn't really care about this. This is not what's bothering him. So maybe I should cut Wesley some slack on the sufficiently advanced technology thing because, I mean, what he was really thinking about was, wow, I just watched a thousand people on a ship that looks exactly like mine die. Well, it, that almost became a really interesting discussion about death and duty. And almost, it, it, almost, almost. Yeah. And it, yeah, it felt a little awkward coming from Wesley. But then how do you introduce that topic in that way and play it out in a simple scene like that? And I also felt like this is one of those examples many times where maybe the show's directors don't really know what to do with Wesley. So he's played a little flat. Um, But here's the thing. I was surprised that conversation didn't happen with Guinan Hmm. because it feels very weird that Wesley would just walk in on the captain because there's already tension there. Captain Picard is not the guy that Wesley goes to to ask for advice you know, he spent all last week talking to everybody else, Worf <laughs> and Jordy and everybody. And Guinan was the one who actually had good advice. Yeah. And Guinan's really the only one who treats Wesley as an equal. Mm-hmm. So it felt a little weird. Now, I'm glad that Picard got to say what he got to say. Right. Um, but... I kept thinking that that scene could have been different. And maybe it would have been too much Guinan and Wesley back to back. 
Um, well, I mean, there are a couple of things, right? I mean, first of all, Guinan's, I mean, uh, Whoopi Goldberg is not a regular. Oh, well, true. She's a recurring yeah, 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 character, yeah, yeah. but she's not yeah. a regular, so you can't necessarily write her in. I don't know how contractually that whole thing works. I don't even know if the writers right. knew that Guinan existed when they started writing this episode. Right, right. But, I mean, you may just have logistic problems there. Um, it, I mean, it, it, you also do get a chance to maybe strengthen a little bit the relationship between Picard and Wesley. Mostly what bothered me with that episode was, I mean, it was still sort of slapdash. And that's not a Wesley thing. That's a, I mean, like, so so... Wes comes in and says, how do you guys deal with it so easily? And Picard says, oh, we, uh, it's nothing easy about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're trained to, and you will be one day as well. Okay, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute. What? <laughs> what? What does that involve exactly? I mean, do you just spend like, you know, is that like six months of somebody in Starfleet that's like slapping you and telling you not to cry? How does that work <laughs> right, exactly? Right. Because, yeah. because I mean, we were on the verge of, I mean, like, it's not like I want Picard to sit there crying or anything like that. It's not like I want him... I don't know what I want from that, but I don't want to hear just, you know, wow, death is really difficult. How do you deal with it? Well, you do. Mm. And someday someone will tell you how. Okay. (laughs) And scene. Really? Well, but, but, you know, he he's dealing with it. He he got that training because he just saw a starship blow up and a thousand people die. But yet he is still doing his role as an ensign on the ship. Yeah. You know, that that's the job. That's how you have to deal with it, because the the requirement at the time is that you just deal with it and you do your job. I think it was the line, you know, about or, or trained to as you will be. I mean, yeah. I think that was I, I think I would rather just be you know, Picard had said, oh, no, there's nothing easy about it. Yeah. And, and stop right there, because then Wesley's got to sit there and go, OK, so he's having a hard time with this, but he's still doing what he needs to do. And I'm having a hard time with this. So. I don't know. I'm going to go to the holodeck and freak out. Maybe <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, he's, I mean, basically I, I wish you, he had said something like you find your way to deal. Cause it sounds like what's going to happen is Starfleet's going to give him a magic pill at one point or give right. him like, right. you know, well, follow these three steps and you'll be able to deal with watching a lot of people just like you buy it. Yeah. And that, that kind of, that was kind of weird and bothersome. Well, that's why, yeah, I I agree. The second half of that line could have been cut and you could have almost had another line or another moment of Picard talking about Captain Varley. They were friends. Yeah. That that had to be hard on Picard. Yeah, I really Uh, need for Picard not to bear his soul to Wesley in that way, though. (laughs) Right. Very true. Seriously, that's almost as bad as Wesley going to everybody but the captain and saying, how do I talk to a girl? Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> Very true. Um, I, I felt like there were a lot of assumptions being made that that Varley was actually onto something and that the thing, the gateway is a weapon and that the Romulans may try to use it as a weapon that therefore we should go after them. I mean, everything in the plot, I felt built on this assumption that that's what that was. That's what we had to do. We kind of discovered that it's not. It is just a way to get away. Mm-hmm. It, it is a way to escape. Um, and they are, we assume now, not conquerors, not warmongers. Um, but I, I felt like everything that pushed this into motion was a sort of that big assumption. You see, what's weird is I think you're actually making an assumption there. I'm not hmm. just saying it to be like, you know, contrary or, mm-hmm. or whatever the proper word is. It, it is a door. But that door can be used depending on how people want to use it. Right. I mean, I, I didn't hear Picard say that the gateway was a weapon. What I heard him say was that it could be used as a weapon and it could. 
I mean, because if I mean, if the Romulans are still as warmongery and take over the galaxy as they seem to have been back in the day, mm. and granted, we haven't had a lot of time with them this time, although they did come back and go, oh, we're scary, you know, a right. few months right. ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite possible that if they found a way to all of a sudden surprise the galaxy by showing up with disruptors, um, that they might be a bit disruptive at that point. Um I actually like the fact that, that Picard, well, I think I like it. I don't know. Maybe we should come back to this. I, how do you feel about the fact that Picard decided, no, 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 this technology is too dangerous for anyone to have? I mean, on the yeah. one hand, I like the fact that he decided it for everyone. He didn't say, <laughs> oh, no, no, this is too dangerous for the Romulans to have, but we can. I mean, there's, there's part of me that thinks that's actually a laudable thing to do. At the same time, it would be neat to be able to go from point A to point B without having to draw that straight line. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, I like to think, and I, and I try to start with the assumption that technology is a neutral proposition. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, it is what you choose to do with that technology that then becomes dangerous. Nuclear power is either a power that can be studied and developed and hopefully be cleaner than fossil fuel or nuclear, uh, you know, our tinkering with nuclear capabilities can also be turned into horrific weapons. Right. You know, just, just because we have under, uh, just because we have understood how to split an atom doesn't mean that that is automatically a net positive or a net negative. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I, I, I get that part of the decision making um, when it comes to seeing this and going like, well, this is really cool. But then just saying, like, I'm going to destroy it as opposed to I'm going to study it, even with the tricorder readings that Worf had, you know, um, part of what Starfleet does is explore and discover and here is this discovery, and you know, he just said, yeah, we can't have it because nobody else can have it either. Do you think part of the problem is because of where it was? I mean, it's in the neutral zone, so they've got no claim. They can yeah. lay no claim to it. And, of course, the Romulans can also lay no claim to it. But, you know, if the Romulans weren't there, who knows what Picard would have done? And if Picard wasn't there, who knows what the Romulans would do when they found it? I mean, do they have to – if they found it, like, on a moon of Vulcan, let's say – then mm-hmm. does the Federation start, you know, really working on and harnessing and trying to come up with how to do that stuff? Or does Picard still come across it and go, yeah, no, this is just, this is too tempting. This is too tempting and too bad. Well, I would hope so. But then I, I feel like we're back in that position where we've had, you know, every time the original series crew would come across a technology that's always, oh, is too advanced for you, puny humans. We're going to take this away from you. <laughs> too bad. You know, we go back to this thing. You, you've got to struggle and find the answer on your own. You, right. you can't have this thing. So I, I, I don't know. I, I would hope that maybe this being in the neutral zone, that trumped all other decision making that could have been done with this technology. Is that a job, though? I mean, just to go and destroy planets in the neutral zone, like anything you find that's interesting in the neutral zone. Like, wow, I've got to wipe that out. It was right yeah. here. Oh, man. I, I mean, that would be a full-time job, and, and who knows what incredible and important things you would end up destroying in the path of doing that. Well, can't be that important. We didn't know it was there before. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, you know, yeah, yeah, it's, yes. Sorry. There's one other cool thing here that I want to touch upon. Yes. The end of the episode, we helped the enemy. 
Yeah. So in all that list of episodes that I talked about, I didn't mention the Corbomite maneuver because I felt like I had to save it for this. Picard beams back and he's literally saying, get out of here. That ship is going to blow up. And Riker says, OK, time to help them. I love the fact that it was actually Riker that did that, too, mm-hmm. that he belayed the captain's order, that he's like, oh, no, wait a minute. We can actually we can we can do something good here. As opposed, because yeah. there have been episodes. Uh, there was one a few weeks ago, and I can't remember which one it is now. And that's surprising to everybody listening, I'm sure. <laughs> but there was one where, like Picard, I think I said that Picard was like Batman, just like everything that had to happen. I think it was one where he like where he ran the transporter and he fixed some other thing, and it was just. I mean, it, it was Picard as Batman or Sherlock Holmes or just you know whoever your favorite superhero is mm-hmm. and i kind of like the fact that at the end of this episode picard's like nah, nah, nah. <laughs> and Riker's <laughs> like no 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 hold on a second we can yeah. fix this and he does because it's it's that kind of hot-headed get us out of here now thing that you would expect from Riker, uh, not from picard and to see that switch is um yeah kind of neat I have a special message for one very special robot out there. Fort. Yamato. Barada. Nikto. It is that moment, that time in the show, where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether the whole episode stands the test of time. Contagion, John. Do you want to start with? Uh, do you want to start with messages, morals, and meanings, or do you want to start with whether or not it holds up? I, I actually want to start with with whether or not it holds up because it, here's the interesting observation: hmm. we just spent a lot of time talking about Contagion, the the episode. Yes, we did not talk at all about the computer. No, we did not. We didn't talk about rebooting the computer at all. This whole episode. Well, no, we did talk about rebooting the computer. I said it was sort of sad that your your actual solution to this 24th century's problem is late 80s, early 90s, turn it off and turn it back on. Right, right. And, but, but that's it. That, that's what I, we didn't talk about the idea of the computer virus. We didn't talk about, you, you know, uh, uh, that as, it, as the central plot element here. Yeah. We went off on all these other discussions, and, and that's why I struggled with the episode. And that's why I came to the conclusion that I did of does the episode hold up? There are so many cool ideas here. And sadly, at the end, the thing that everybody's going to take away is the computer problem. Oh, I disagree. How do we spend this whole episode talking about it and not talking about the computer problem? I don't think that is actually the thing that people are going to take away. I think it, I think when you say contagion, somebody goes, oh, yeah, that's the one where they rebooted the enterprise computer. I really do. And and here's the thing. It, I, I think that the show automatically dates itself because of that. You, you know, because always you now in the 21st century watching this are going to say, well, didn't they have a backup? Didn't didn't they have like a thumb drive with the OS on it that they could just plug in? Um, and are all the systems so integrated that a virus would just affect all of them? Maybe that's bad design. Like you're doing the home version in your head because the cold boot seems like the first thing that they should have tried. So to me, it's like this one thing that that is this running plot line throughout the episode and then the resolution of it it hurts what would have otherwise been a really cool episode see i disagree with you and i'll tell you why i disagree 
Okay. It, it's not a virus. It's possible that they're running McAfee or that they're running whatever they need to run. And every transmission yeah. that they take is that. But da- the way Data explains it is this is a – the way Data and Jordy explain it is this is a completely different computer operating system that is so advanced. It is coming true – coming through, excuse me, and mm-hmm. trying to rewrite the operating system of the enterprise computer. And mm-hmm. there's nothing about the two that should actually work together. There's nothing about the two that should make them – it's not like, you know, I'm running Windows 95 and then I'm going to Windows 98. Or it's not like I'm going from, you know, Mac OS, what was, what was the last one, Yosemite to Mavericks? It's not like yeah. going from Yosemite to Mavericks. I mean, these are not computers that should automatically go from one thing to another. This is a completely random 200,000-year-old technology that is able to look at completely foreign technology and go, I, I should still be able to run on that, though. Let me figure out how. <laughs> now, unfortunately, the way it's doing it ends up being destructive, but this is not like... Ah, um, Independence Day, where they, you know, upload a virus to the the war yeah, faction and bring everything down. I mean, this was right. not a computer virus. This was a this was a very advanced computer system. Thinking, hey, that's a computer. I run on computers. I ought to be able to take that over. Whether it was trying to do it, you know, for 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 good or for ill, or just because of the way it was made. Now, the, the cold reboot is kind of a drag, or the cold boot is a drag. Mm-hmm. But honestly, there's so much other stuff in this episode that I feel like it still holds up, especially mm. when you don't say, oh, it was a computer virus. I mean, if you had said it was a virus, if they had said the words, it's a virus, then it would have been like, you know, as bad as, you know, the whole thing hinging on saying the mainframe 30 times. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the thing. It, it plays like a computer virus, and it's very hard for a modern audience to take that out of their heads when they watch this. And that's why I think that when you watch this, you you can't help but make that jump and just go like, oh, yeah, it's a virus. So they had to reboot the computer, mm. you know. So, I yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's so much that I liked here. And I, and I, and I felt excited about the idea of all these interesting topics and, and these, like I said, these touchstones to past Star Trek going on. But I, I feel like it sort of shoots itself in the foot and not intentionally. It's just that this was 1989, and that's what they went with. Hmm. So I'm cutting, right. a lot of, I'm cutting them a lot of slack. All right. But uh, I, I feel like even as enjoyable as it was, to me it doesn't hold up. But I, I like and I respect the reason that you said that it does for you. All right. What Thank about you. messages? I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, well, I mean, there were a bunch of things that were kind of interesting. I like the whole, I mean, I always like the sufficiently advanced technology conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's always really cool. Um, I still kind of, I, mean, I still wonder about what Picard did. Part of me wants to applaud it, but part of me wonders if that is his decision to make. Yeah. And again, maybe it is his decision to make because it's in the neutral zone and there's no time at all to tell Starfleet. But then it also feels like even the tricorder thing, like you, like, like we mentioned, even the tricorder thing, he, he wants no record of any of this. Mm-hmm. I would actually be really curious to know how he ends up explaining to Starfleet. Well, no, I know what happened to the Yamato. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What happened to the Yamato? It blew up in the, uh, in, in the neutral zone. What was it doing there? Yeah. Weird. Right. <laughs> and how do you know? I know. Right. <laughs> Well, do we have their logs or anything? No. <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, there's a, the, the, that part's kind of, kind of, uh, kind of bizarre. 
Yeah. But I mean, there's so much other stuff to play with, though. I mean, the idea of the idea of evolving cultures, the idea of what you believe about everybody who came before is not necessarily true. And the only reason it's not true is because you're here now. And the people who came just before you are the ones who told you. It's like that line from JFK. How do you know who your daddy is? Because your mama told you so. Mm. I mean, we have this idea about the Iconians that's based entirely on not the Iconians. We have, we have this idea, uh, you know, based on, you know, what happened after and, and examining that and getting the audience to examine that idea is, is, is kind of interesting as well. So I don't I mean, as far as like one message, I don't, I don't feel like, I mean, this is not a, this is not a don't eat pain episode. This is not a save the whales episode, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff to play with. Yeah. I mean, to be serious about it, the, the things that I, I think are the interesting takeaways, we, throughout every time we referenced the Romulans or talked about the Romulans or how are we going to deal with the Romulans and Worf was ready to fight. It was always the captain saying like, look, I, I don't want conjecture. I, I want answers. You know, you, you can keep throwing these assumptions at me about what they did and, Oh, well now they can fire their weapons while they're cloaked, but this isn't useful. Um, and even while that tension keeps going throughout the episode, again, like the Corbinite maneuver, we get to the end and it's Riker this time who says, OK, we're good to go. They're about to blow up. So let's help them out. Yeah. Um, it was a good way to replay that without just replaying the Corbinite maneuver. Yeah. Um, and uh, but if I'm being uh, silly and flippant, uh, when in doubt, reboot and make sure you carry a backup and a remote installer. And does that message hold up? Sadly, yes. Now, I think even more than in 1989. Oh, all right. <laughs> or, or use a Mac. I mean, that would which you should still you should still back up. You should you still, still get a backup. And yeah. You should still run antivirus stuff, even though you're going to feel like an idiot for spending that money because it's not going to find any viruses. But, you know. You get the yeah. idea. Hey, John, there's hey. another message that holds up. Would you please tell people what it is? I will. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find out more at Roddenberry.com. And not just more about Roddenberry Entertainment, but there is such cool stuff that Roddenberry makes and gets out into the world, like comic strips and props and all kinds of cool collectible stuff, all at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, you can check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news, and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Join us again next week, please, when we will discuss the Quarter Pounder. I'm sorry, the Royale. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. This episode of Mission Log sponsored by Iconian Tours. Hopping a ship, or hopping the galaxy, whatever your destination, Iconian Tours is your gateway. Call your travel agent today. And transmission.